This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. I've got a chat with the great Michael Sweet from Striper to share with you. The catalyst for the chat is an Australian tour from Striper, which is occurring across March in 2023. They are playing on the 2nd at the Prince's Theatre in Brisbane. I should be able to go along to that show. It'll be my first time in that venue and also watching this killer band. Now, elsewhere, I received a ton of inspiration for the questions that I put to Michael from my mate in the United States, Howard Tate. He's a supporter of the show and he's also a big Striper fan. So Howard, I owe you a pint if we ever catch up. Something else about this conversation, I framed a question to Michael about Nagal from Behemoth in a way that I'd probably ask differently if I had my time over again. Now look, you all know I'm not into misleading statements or framing things in a way that leads people up the garden path. I don't care about doing that. It was just one of those moments where, you know what? I'll have a fair bit to say about why I framed the question in the manner that I did after you've heard from Michael. Let's leave it until after the chat because here he is, Michael Sweet. Hello. Here he is. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah. Thanks very much for taking the time out to have a chat to us ahead of the shows. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm going to try and make this chat as interesting as I can for you because God knows I've listened to enough of your chats where they ask about the same three things, Christianity, your views on Satanism, and maybe there might be something about sex, drugs, and rock and roll in there. So I'm going to avoid the cliches. (laughs) No problem. You ask me whatever you want to ask me. Cool. I've actually received some inspiration for this one, meaning that is uh, someone closer to you over in your part of the world is uh, a huge fan of yours and has been that way since 1986, apparently. So about as old as uh, fans have sort of kept up to date, this fella is. So he sent me through some ideas for some questions for you. So he's, he's the first one, and you can tell he's a fan. Actually, before I get to that, okay, talking about the tour, now, this is the first time you're coming down since Oz was sidelined. Is that correct? First time we're coming down where? To Australia since Oz, where Oz evidently had the medical complications and a few other things go on. So. Yes, yeah. We we came as a trio. We came as a trio mm. in 18, and then I came as a solo guy in 19, uh, and we're coming with Oz this time. But we've been there with Oz uh, quite a few times prior to that. Mm. Yeah, I watched the footage of those shows with you guys as a trio, mate. And I got to tell you, I—I I mean, I knew you were a talented fellow beforehand, but holy shit, you brought it to the next level on that show, on that tour. <laughs> Man, I tell you, but I—I'm still trying to see that. I watched the footage myself, and I, I'm not getting that yet. But you know, I—I I really appreciate the kind words, and it, it blew my mind uh, to read all the reviews because I expected the worst. Uh, I expected to be crucified, uh, you know, uh, going down last minute without preparation to do a trio set uh, in Australia. But, you know, fans were just amazing, so supportive. They really seemed to genuinely like and love the show, Uh, even though we were missing Oz, obviously. um, They really had a good time. Everybody had a great time, the band and crowd. And I was very blessed to read that and see that. And that was for every show. I, I, I didn't read any negative reviews, so it was really phenomenal. Yeah, a lot of support and love down here for you, mate, and I think you know that. And that's why you're able to keep coming down, mate, because the fans keep turning out. But uh, on, to some, 
Yeah. On to some of these questions. Now, you can tell that the, the person who's asked me to ask you these questions is, is a fan, okay, a, a solid fan, died on the wolf fan of yours specifically. And he, he wants to know what details have you got in the new project that you're working on or you have already co-written, I think it is, with CJ from the band Narnia. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. When he was said, when he said project, I was instantly thinking of Sweet Lynch or this other project I just turned in. But he's thinking mm. of a completely different project. Uh, that is a killer album. I basically reached out to CJ. We did a tour, South American tour with Narnia, and I was really impressed with the band, but even more so with CJ as mm. a guitar player. And I felt like, wow, what a killer player! You know, so good, great tone, great feel and a great guy. And I felt like, okay, that's somebody I want to work with. Those are the people I gravitate to. And I reached out to CJ and I said, man, we should do an album together. Why don't you write the music? I'll write the melodies and the lyrics and let's make a record. So CJ jumped right into it and he wrote a bunch of songs and sent them my way. This was a while ago, a few years ago. Hmm. Um, and I, I listened to the stuff and I was just so blown away. I felt like, wow, this is powerful. This is incredible. It's rock, hard rock. Some stuff is a little more on the metal side, but it's a hard rock record. And CJ's just sounds phenomenal. And I still have to write the, the melodies and the lyrics and sing the album. I still got to do that. I haven't had time to do it because once the pandemic it kind of uh, opened up and bands started touring again. I, I went right into fast uh, motion, fast forward motion, uh, touring and performing and doing other projects. So uh, it will get done when it's done. It's going to be amazing. It has a very different sound to it. I, I hate to use the term European, but it's got a little bit more of that mm. European flavor to it. And it just sounds fresh and different. Really cool. Cool. All right, what about the acoustic album that apparently you've had in the can for a couple of years? Will that see light of day sometime? That will, and it actually is going to see the light of day this year. We have plans on our calendar to release that this year. Okay. Um, and it, it's killer. It's really cool. Um, we just recorded an acoustic album quite a while back, and we couldn't release it because we didn't want to step on the toes of any other releases. Uh, and we just had to keep putting it back, pushing it back, putting it on a shelf. Finally, it's going to see the light of day. And it's just really great album acoustic. I think there's 11 tracks on there. And it's it's got a really cool feel to it and sound. Uh, we did a cover of Amazing Grace and a bunch of songs uh, from mm. all of our albums. And it's, it's a fantastic album. What about the live from the Spirit House sessions then? Will that is that still something that's on the back burner or are you going to bring that to life as well? Oh, we'll bring that to life. We're going to do more of those. We've already done a number of those uh, and we plan on doing, we're trying to do a few more this year actually. Um, go in, you know, maybe we'll tackle Yellow and Black Attack, maybe In God We Trust, maybe Against the Law. We're not sure which albums yet. Hmm. We usually do an old classic and then a newer album. So maybe one of the classics and one of the new albums. But we're going to keep trying to do that because we have a great time doing it and the fans seem to really enjoy it. Uh, it's just difficult to organize that because we got to go meet up at the same place, work out all the material. That takes three, four, five days, six days, and then record it. Mm. And that's usually a two or three day process. 
to do it right. Uh, so it's not a quick one or two day event. It's it's a good week long event, and that's hard to schedule. Mm. My mate assures me that Yahweh, which you co-wrote with Clint from Seven Dust, he thinks that's one of the greatest songs in your catalogue, which is truly saying something given the volume and quality of songs that you've released over the years. But do you plan on doing more co-writing with Clint and anybody else for that matter? I do, and it's funny because Clint he, he listens to that song and he says, I don't really hear what I contributed to it. <laughs> He sent me a riff that had that and it had that thing to it. And I drew from that and then wrote Yahweh. Uh, but see, without Clint, it wouldn't have ever happened. You know, uh, so that he really played a, a very important role in that song. Uh, I would love to write with Clint more and, and work with Clint. I think he's a great guy, great writer. Uh, and we would come up with some killer stuff. There are some other people I'd love to write with as well. Dave Mustaine and I have talked about writing together. Mm. Uh, I think that would be kind of unique and pretty cool. Um, and, you know, that's probably my first love in terms of what I do as an artist is writing. I put that above songwriting. I, excuse me. I put that above guitar playing, singing and mm. producing. Songwriting is at the top of my list. I love it. That's very interesting you raised David Mustaine because I've read some of the interviews with the former members, so David Ellison in particular. He was sidelined from a lot of the writing on the Megadeth, the last few Megadeth albums, the albums that he was a part of at least anyway since he returned for the most part. So it's very interesting to hear that Dave is interested in collaborating with you because I think he'd be one of the only people that he'd be willing to do that at this point with. Well, I, I know that we've talked about it uh, in text messages and and on the phone, uh, I think one conversation we had, and I mentioned how I'd love to write stuff with him, and he said he had a bunch of ideas uh, that he's built up over the years, and he could present me with some ideas, riff ideas, um, and I don't know if he wants to remain anonymous or not, uh, but I kind of I kind of threw that out the window by just talking about it right now. So if, if it ever does happen. I think people will know. Uh, but, you know, I, I respect Dave as a writer and as an artist. And I think, or at least I hope, he respects me. And I think it would be really interesting to for him and I to collaborate and write something together. I think it would be really great. It would turn out really great. Mm. I'm looking forward to your collaboration with George Lynch. I know this is your third Sweet and Lynch album that's coming out. So what can you – I know that's coming out sometime in the near future. So can you talk about that at all now? Sure. That's coming out in May. So not not long from now. Uh, it's called Heart and Sacrifice, the album. And killer cover. When everyone sees the artwork, I think they're going to love it. It's mm. dark. It's dark, but it says a lot. Really cool. Um, and the album itself uh, went through some... Uh, periods of change in other words george submitted a bunch of songs and a couple of them weren't quite right and we had to get some more songs submitted we went and recorded the album and then we wound up uh, re-recording some other songs to add to it to make the album better and now the stage that it's in now is fantastic it's really i think the strongest sweet and lynch album and it's a little it's a little darker musically not much just a little bit and a little heavier 
like some of the songs are tuned way down. The guitar it has a, a, a nice heavy feel to it. Um, and I just love the feel of it. It's a little bit more, for lack of a uh, explanation, a little bit more 90s. Nice. Than it, than it is 80s. A little more 70s and 90s than it is 80s. But then you also hear the 80s flair. George is killing it on guitar. I had I kept trying to pull that out of him. Like he'd send a song where the solo was simplified. And I'd say, dude, people want to hear you tear it up. Mm -hmm. You know, just burn. Like give him George, George Lynch. Mm -hmm. And then he'd, he'd submit a new solo. And it's like, there it is. You know, just bring in the fire and the heat. So I think this album's going to really please people. They're going to be pleasantly surprised and hopefully blown away. Mm. You're, you're obviously good mates with George. Do, do you talk about this topic at all? You've been around doing what you're doing now. It's over 40 years. Does your enduring success, it's not does it surprise you, but do you sometimes have those moments you're on a plane to places like Australia or parts of Europe or whatever you and go, my God, we're actually doing this. It's still, the dream is still happening. Yep. Oh, gosh. I mean, I'm, I'm always blown away uh, year after year that we're still doing it, that we're still able to tour. We're still able to record. I'm still able to work. People still want to work with me because uh, I don't really know why. You know, I, I don't view myself as the most talented guy on the planet or even close, but I do view myself as a passionate guy. I'm very passionate about what I do. One of the most passionate guys in this business about what he does, me. And uh, I think because of that, people sense that and want to be a part of that. I love what I do. Mm. And the fact that I get to do it still is the most incredible thing. And I wake up every day excited to work on a new project. And mm. George feels that. He says it. You know, he, he, he respects that. And I respect that in him. He's passionate, too. I'm a workaholic. He's a workaholic. We love to work. And Alessandro Del Vecchio, same thing. We all have that same spirit where, you know, we just love what we do still to this day, 40 years later. Uh, for George is, you know, probably a little bit more than that. Now I'm for pushing 40 years. Alessandro's a little less than that. But mm. we still love what we do. And that matters. Does it give you a sense of, how can I frame this accomplishment, okay, that you still ruffle feathers when you hear someone like Nogal, who's actually quite a nice guy, by the way, when he makes statements in the media when he probably doesn't know you at all, saying he doesn't like you and he doesn't like Stripen? Well, I would, I don't know this as fact because I don't know him or I'm not in his personal life at all. But I would probably go as far as to say that he probably doesn't really hate Striper. Agreed. It, yeah. it, 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 it might be a situation where he might say that he does, but deep down inside, he might not really hate us because he doesn't know us. How can you hate or love someone if you don't, if you don't know them? Mm. Um, and I think if he got to know us, he might actually like us. Um, what little bit that I got to experience with him in Mexico, he came in our dressing room accidentally, <laughs> and he thought we were uh, Merciful Fate's dressing room. And we were all sitting around. He opened the door and came in. Hey, you know, King. Oh, oh, gosh, I thought this was uh, Merciful Fate, King Diamond. And he goes, and I said, hey, man, you know, what's going on? And 
uh, I said, you guys sounded great. And he, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, wow, uh, coming from you. Wow. You know, and it was just a regular, quick, but normal conversation. Just two regular guys. That's the sense that I got. Same thing when I met King Diamond, Ken, and we were just talking, hanging out. And uh, it was just a regular conversation. It, it, nothing, nothing weird, you know, just two, two guys. And I think people have this perception often that is just not realistic. Uh, that, you know, they're satanic and they're Christian and it's oil and water and they can't even be in the same room and they can't look at each other. And it's just not true. Two industry veterans in yours and King's case and in Nagal's case. Let's bump him into the mix because he's been doing it for well over 25 years now. But three industry veterans, the top of their craft. Yeah. Of course, you're going to have respect for each other. It's also another thing, too, because I've listened to a lot of Nagal's interviews, the types of questions that he gets asked. It's not that he gets baited into a response, but eventually you just say something off the cuff and it gets made out into the blabbermouth quote and metal injection and all those bloody sites pick everything up. And that becomes the quote for the year. Yeah. Well, they let, they love to do that, don't they? You know, they're the yeah. uh, the, T, the TMZ of the music world. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's just what they do. But that being said, it, it's not always reality. As a matter of fact, most of the time, it's not reality. Uh, you know, when I was talking to Kim, I, I, he, he was just, a, we talked about the weather and it was just a regular conversation. And then later on on Facebook, his wife reached out to me and said, ah, I wanted to meet you and I wish I was there. And just mm -hmm. regular people having a regular conversation. And and you you say that and you mention that and people are like, what? Oh, oh my God, you, what? Your kid, you know? And it's blown into mm. this big thing when it shouldn't be. Yeah, no, I agree, mate. It's it's ridiculous at this point in time. But uh, it does hinder the fact that you're able to reach a very broad audience. So, you know, God bless, uh, God bless you for what you've been able to do and what you're going to continue to do. You can tell that you reach people. Okay, maybe the the other flip side of this, mate, is that. Some of these people who have ignored what Stripe are doing, in particular what your talent offers, maybe through these comments, they'll go to Spotify and they'll click on maybe the top few ranked Striper songs and their fans. And you know what? That's what keeps us going because people are going and listening to the music, new people, new fans, uh, and we're continuing to win people over. And that to me says everything. It means everything. Uh, we set out on a, on a mission years ago, almost 40 years ago, to inspire and encourage people and change lives. And we're still doing that. And as long as we're doing that, we're going to keep doing it. Please do. Look forward to seeing you down here, mate. Thanks very much for the chat. I'll look you, let you go to the next one. Okay, brother. God bless you, man. You have a great night, a great day, and I'll have <laughs> a great night, hopefully. And we'll see you soon. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Thanks very much again. Okay. Take care, man. Cheers. You too. Bye-bye. Catch you. So there he is, Michael Sweet, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I said during the interview, as I mentioned in the introduction, that Nagal has said in the media that he doesn't like Michael Sweet or Striper. I should have framed the question by asking if Michael had seen the Instagram post of Nurgle giving the thumbs down and grimacing whilst holding a vinyl edition of Striper's To Hell with the Devil. I've searched and I can't see any quotes from Nagal online. They may be somewhere but i can't find any about his dislike or otherwise of michael sweet directly or striper but 
a picture tells a thousand words. So there you go. And there it is actually, if you're watching via YouTube, that's the image on Nurgle's Instagram page from 2018. The additional comments about Blabbermouth and all the metal media news aggregators, the TMZ of the music world, as Michael said a moment ago, that could be about anybody on this podcast. God knows that I've had a ton of stuff picked up by the aggregators in their quest for hits and clicks and ultimately advertising revenue. Okay, thanks so much for listening again. Michael Sweet, awesome chat. Wish I had more time with him. Actually, just a quick story about that. I had a chat lined up with Andrew Freeman for 9 a.m. The chat with Michael started a bit before 8.40 a.m. and I thought, wow, I've got to get off the call with Michael to go and chat with Michael, Andrew Freeman from Last in Line, the Dio Legacy Act. Turns out I got an email much earlier, although I hadn't checked my emails yet, saying Andrew was unavailable. Maybe I could have had, could have spent some more time there with Michael, but uh, look, things flow the way they go, don't they? If you like that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. Click on the podcast link and you'll be taken to a universe of conversations with the members of Morbid Angel, Testament, Megadeth, so many others, heaps of others. And if you like Cradle of Filth especially, I have a particular interest in their 90s epoch and I've interviewed so many people from that universe as well. Not just the ex-members, the musicians in the band, but art directors, producers. Soon I'll be talking to the lady who has been in many of their videos and part of their visual representation throughout the 90s too. Interesting stuff. I've also written a book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond. If you click on the link in the banner of the website when you're there, you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice. I'll actually put it also in the show notes. I should have been doing that, but you know, I'm a shitty marketer, whatever. I just try to provide good content. If you download a sample and you decide to buy it, please do let me know because I want to thank you very much for doing so. Okay, I'm going to tell you a bit more about the book after I bid you a fond farewell. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it is a very good bye for now. Cheers. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Coal Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. 
or Silenos from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded, and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five, and Manson gave me that name, and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.